name right now. He is worthy, God. We glorify you. Lord, we magnify you in this place, God. We glorify your name, Lord, for you alone are worthy. There is no other name like your name, God. For in your name there is healing. And we declare healing right now to flow, God, from this place. Healing to flow into every body that is represented here today. Everyone watching online, we declare healing right now. Completely healed in Jesus' name. And Father, we give you glory. We give you honor. Father, we thank you. We thank you, Jesus. We thank you, Lord, that there is no name like your name. What a wonderful name it is. What a wonderful name it is, Lord. We love you. We glorify you, Lord. We glorify you in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Hallelujah. You are wonderful. You are wonderful, Lord. We magnify you in this place, God. Hallelujah. Oh, thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. You can be seated this morning. We want to release all the teenagers right now. Amen. So if you're here, junior high, high school, you can follow Alex. He's going out the back door. Amen. Praise God. Isn't God good this morning? Amen. We want to take a moment before we do anything. Of course, we want to welcome everybody that's here in-house. We also want to welcome everybody that's watching online. We are very glad for you. We're glad that you've joined us today. And we believe God's got a word for you. Amen. If you have your Bibles, turn with me over to the book of James. James chapter 4, verse number 7. Amen. I told the uh, 8.30 service that I am both excited about this message and a little concerned. Amen. He said, why is that? Well, when God's speaking, you can be excited and concerned at the same time. Amen. God usually has something to say, and when God says something to us, it can challenge us. Can you, I'm telling you, it can get right. You know, and God really, he began to give me this message about three weeks ago now. And uh, this has been a, a thought that has <clears throat> been with me for a while. It's been resting on me and, 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 and really uh, uh, working its way into my life. And I really do. I named this uh, series, or it is going to be a series, I, I named it a strategy for victory. And the reason I did is because this really is amounting to teaching us a strategy that God has given us so that we can walk in victory. Amen. You know, we're living in some very uh, different and unprecedented times. We all know that that seems to be the mantra of every uh, preacher that gets up behind a pulpit. And, and the reality is, is it's undeniable. You know, there are things that are happening so quickly and so frequently that are baffling to us that we don't always understand. But let me assure you this morning that God's got a plan, that God is at work, that God is accomplishing his purposes in the earth. And he has a plan for victory for you and I. Can you say amen? God's a good God. Amen. He's always good. He's a good father. And he's made a way for us. Amen. He's made a way for us to walk in victory in spite of what may be going on around us. Can you say amen? So turn over to James chapter 4 verse 7. 
And the Bible says this, one verse of Scripture. It says, therefore, submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Now, it's my intention this morning to unpack that the best we can because this is an extremely powerful verse that needs and demands our full attention. Listen to me. We need to give this verse our attention. If we're not careful, we can completely miss what God is saying here. Um, uh, Sometimes what happens, I think, in life is we uh, hear verses oftentimes preached, and I'm certain that you have ha- if you've been in church any length of time, you've more than likely have heard this verse preached before. And we can hear those verses and we can walk away going, yeah, I've, I've heard that, I've heard that. Or we can walk away and go, yeah, I, I get that. And we can completely miss this. But in this one small verse, there is a strategy. It's a last day strategy for victory, that if we'll pay attention to it, if we'll embrace it, it will change our lives. Can you say amen? Amen. Now, I have to be honest with you this morning. I really did wrestle with preaching this message. I've been putting this message together for about uh, four days and in the process of taking my time and studying and working through, there's about six or seven times that I quit. So I'm not preaching it. I'm just not going to do it. I'm, I'm, I, it's too much. In fact, I told Kathy, I told my wife, and I told some other people in the office, uh, I spent um, probably the first 10 hours I put into this message, spent the time putting this together, wrote the message, and then on Saturday, threw it all the way and rewrote it. <laughs> that's, so that's been the wrestling match. And, um, and you say, well, why, why are you struggling with this? Because... Um, This morning, this really does require that we get courageously honest with ourselves. And and you go, whoa, that's a pretty big word. You're right. I got my thesaurus out and used my thesaurus to come up with the word courageous. And you say, why is that? Because it's going to take some courage this morning for you and I to look into the mirror and to say, wait, I got to get honest. It's, you know, if, if, if we're just going to phone this stuff in, if we're just going to mess around, we're going to find ourselves in real trouble. Can you say amen? We're, like I said, we're living in some times that demands some seriousness. It demands that we pay attention. Now, when we say stuff like that, we kind of get this mindset that, that we can't enjoy life or, or that it's all going to be a hardship. No, God, God is a God of joy. The joy of the Lord is my strength. Can you say amen? And, but we, we have got to resist wanting just to be happy because being happy is about what's happening Joy is something that comes from the inside, and it rises up regardless of what is happening on the outside. Can you say amen? It's, it's a confidence in knowing that God is actually in charge of the planet, that God is working things out, and I am, in fact, okay. That, in fact, I have God on my side, or better yet, I am on His side. Can you say Amen. And, and so this is going to require some honesty, some courageous honesty. Um, and the reason is because this will upset the apple cart, so to speak. This is going to upset our comfort zone a little bit. Amen. Good preaching, Pastor. That's, that's God. We, we like it. 
We like getting our comfort zone, you know, and in many cases, it's going to require some serious change, and we don't like that. I'll be honest with you, I don't like it. The older I get, the less I like change. I just don't. I kind of like the status quo. I, I kind of like just, you know, going forward. I don't, you know, quit messing with the formula. You know what I'm saying? It's like we don't need new Coke, old Coke, classic Coke is good. We don't need to change nothing. We, you know, I know that dates me because that's way back in the 80s. And I still think that, you know, everybody understands the 80s. I'm looking at people right here that weren't born in the 80s. And they're, you know, and I'm like, oh, dear God, you know, and so on and on. And so Andy keeps telling me all the time, change your examples. Like, like I say all the time, I'll say, well, we're going to go home and watch Laverne and Shirley. And, and there's a whole ton of people that don't know, even know who Laverne and Shirley are. It's, and so, but, you know, I did try the other day, say, well, let's go home and watch The Office. Well, all you old folks don't even know who The Office is. And so let's, let's, let's just go home and watch TV. How's that? You know, there you go. Quit, quit. But anyway, the point is, is, is that somewhere along the line, change comes hard to us. We don't like change, but it's necessary that we make some changes. Can you say amen? And this is not a bad thing. And and what God is compelling us to do is to come into a place where we actually will have legitimate victory. So with that said, we're going to jump in to our message. And to really get the most out of this verse that we have read, we have to understand it in its context. If we don't understand it in its context, we lose the power of it. Sometimes verses will have a greater power because of the context in which they are written, because they express something far more deeper and more powerful when you understand what's happening around them. So James begins this chapter, chapter 4, by confronting some very dysfunctional behavior in the people that he is writing to. In verses 1 through 4, it describes people who are in conflicts of all kinds. In fact, he starts off by asking a question. He says, hey, where do all these wars and rumors of wars and these fights, where do they all come from? Now, he's not asking a question he doesn't know the answer to. He's wanting them to, to answer the question. He's wanting them to have the revelation that he's had. He's saying, hey, guys, look, at you guys are fighting. There's all of this conflict. There's all this strife and all manner of, of, of fighting going on. Where is that coming from? Have you thought about that? And he begins to go on and he says, there are people that are living with misaligned priorities that are leading them into sinful actions. How many know that when your priorities out of order, that it can pull you into a place of sinful? How many know what I'm talking about? And, and then he talks about people who are spending much of their time seeking worldly pleasure. It's, it's not that they're seeking things that are quote-unquote necessarily bad. It's just that this life, this world has become their priority. And, and in some cases, they are seeking things that are sinful. And the amazing thing to me is in the context here, he's actually speaking to Christians. It, it always amazes me is that some of the, the hardest uh, statements that are made about behavior aren't directed to the world. They're directed to Christians. 
Because oftentimes what happens is we forget, we set aside our behavior. We, we think that it's okay not to be okay. Did you forget where you're at? No. I want you to, question, I want you to catch that. Look at when when we say when we make the statement it's okay not to be okay that that's not talking about that it's okay to stay there it's talking about the fact that God loves you there's nothing look at there's nothing in your life that you can do that will ever eliminate the love of God from you you can't the love of God is bigger than all of that but there are things in your life that you can do that will eliminate your success your blessing the grace of God on your life. God loves you. He loved you when you were a sinner. He demonstrated his love towards you that while you were still a sinner, he died for you. He loves you. He loves you with a passion. But listen, there are times when, when God is saying, look, guys, I need you to pay attention to how you're living. And this is one of those moments because this, this first century church, this, this group of Christians, they had either forgotten or they did not know that there are very real consequences to the kind of life that they were living. This, this kind of life that he is describing in the first four verses was leading them into conflict in every relationship, whether it was on the job or in the home or in their marriages, or even in the church. See, when our priorities are out of order, conflict is the inevitable result. Are you hearing me? Because what happens is we, we put ourselves into these priorities, we align ourselves with this, but it creates a sense of strife, it creates a sense of fighting, and we have to guard and protect, and when our eyes are on this world, we begin to justify behavior that is unthinkable. Listen to what I'm saying. We condone actions that are ungodly and we play right into the hand of the devil. Are you hearing me? And ultimately, we greatly hinder our connection with our heavenly Father. Now, that's the bad news. Here is the good news because right in the midst of all of this chaos, there is a couple of verses that seem quite odd in the midst of this. But what they do is they reveal to you and I the heart of God towards us. And that's what we need to see. In James chapter 4, verses 5 and 6, God is now speaking. He says, through James, he says, Or do you think that the Scripture says in vain, the Spirit who dwells in us, yearns jealously, but he gives more grace. Therefore, he says, God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Listen to those words again. The spirit who dwells in us yearns jealously. What does this mean? It means he is passionate about the relationship that we have with him. You need to understand this. God is passionate about his relationship with you. He wants nothing to come between you and him. And God this morning longs for the full devotion of our heart. Are you hearing that this morning? And this word jealous, 
It says there's several places where it talks about our God being a jealous God. What is he talking about? It's not the negative side of jealousy. It's talking about the intensity of his love, that he wants nothing to divert us or to separate us. He wants nothing. He does not want to share us with any other thing. Can you say amen? He comes, this word jealous comes from a Hebrew word that is the idea of a burning heart. The idea is that God with such an intensity cannot abide that we would love any other. And the love that he has for us, listen, expects exclusive faithfulness from us. Are you hearing me? Here's the amazing thing about this passage of Scripture, is this is literally showing us the antidote to the chaos that we get ourselves into by separating ourselves from God, by being what the word is called alloyed. We are mixed. We, we are, th- there's an interesting word in the book of, of Titus. He says, under the pure, all things are pure. But unto the, unto the defiled, all things are defiled. This word defiled literally means alloyed. It means they have a mixture under the pure, meaning they're focused. They have one thing. They have a heart for God and God alone. But the defiled, it, defiled comes across really hard and harsh. But it literally means that we have not only a heart for God, but we have a heart for a lot of other things. And the problem is when we want to see God, he says, he goes, blessed are the pure in heart in the Beatitudes, for they shall see God. So there's a requirement of singleness, a, a purity of heart. In other words, he wants us to be fully devoted. Can you say amen? And the antidote to the chaos of our life is that we would give our heart fully to him. The problem is is that this kind of devotion is not something we're good at. I I hate using this example because it's probably been overused too much, but it does make the point we're kind of like the dog in the cartoon, the movie, cartoon movie Up, you know, squirrel. You know, we we have an attention span about the... Have you ever had a conversation with somebody that has an attention span of about two seconds? It's really frustrating I mean, it is just frustrating. I mean, you want to hit them with something. You want to knock them in the head. Pay attention. I'm talking. And I don't doubt that there are times this is how God feels. He wants our attention, not because that he's insecure and needs all the bolstering and his ego needs it, because we need it. We need it, but we are pulled by every shiny thing. You, you know, we, we, we're like fish in a water. We, we, we see a shiny thing and we go after it with gusto, not understanding that it's loaded with hooks. Amen. We go for the bait every time and, and God say, no, wait a second. I have a plan here. And if you will give your whole hearted, this is why he says, I yearn jealously. I want you to want me completely and singular. Why? Because it's going to keep you. And then he gives us an answer even for the fact that we're not good at this. He says this, he gives more grace. 
He gives more grace. Therefore, he says, God resists the proud but gives grace to, to the humble. In spite of the struggle that we may be in, his reaction, God's reaction to our struggle is to pour out more grace. It's to pour out more grace, to pour out more divine ability. In the season we're in, for heaven's sakes, the church is constantly talking about that God wants to pour out judgment. Now look it, I understand there comes a time when God will be judged, but this is not the time. God, we are in the age of grace. God is pouring out grace. And for heaven's sakes, the Bible says it is the goodness of God that leads us to repentance. Are you hearing that today? Somewhere we've got to take that in and go, wait a second, God, you are not mad. You are concerned. You're, you're disappointed. You are passionate about us. You're a good father. Are you hearing me? It's just like, it's, it's like, imagine, if you will, if my little grandson, um, he's three, Titus, if, if little Titus was running out in the road and there was a car coming, you're probably going to see me react in what seems to be a harsh, intense way. But it is not because I'm judging him. It is not because I want to break him down. It's not because I'm mad at him. It's because I know that if he continues in the path he's going, he's going to be mowed down and killed by this automobile. So the intensity of my passion for my grandson compels me to act in a way that is intense and vibrant and alive. And the church has interpreted that as judgment. And it's not. It's the grace of God. Are you hearing me? It's motivated by his great love for us. He loves us. Are you hearing what I'm saying? So he gives this answer. He says he pours out grace. He pours out grace. Look what it says in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 8. It says, and God is able to make all Grace abound towards you that having you always having all sufficiency in all things may have an abundance for every good work. Then he goes on in 2 Corinthians 12 9, he says, He said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, uh, therefore most gladly, I would rather boast in my infirmity that the power of Christ may re rest upon me. And once again, we've interpreted this as this grace is is simply just this ability to endure. Je Jesus told us we're saved by what? Grace. grace through faith. It's grace that brings about salvation. What is salvation? It's body, soul, and spirit. It's my healing. It's my deliverance. It is my forgiveness. Grace is the, the seedbed of all that God does in my life. And God says, I am able. And when you are struggling, I will pour this out. See, this verse shows us that when God makes great demands, when God says, I want all of your heart, every last little piece of your heart, I want it all, he gives us the grace to give it. The greater the demand, the greater the grace. Are you hearing what I'm saying? The only thing, listen to me, the only thing that can derail us is if we determine to walk in pride. 
Are you hearing this? So what, it, what do you mean? If we determine to walk in our own strength, what is pride? Pride is saying, look, I'm above all of this. I, I'm raising myself up. I'm above all of that. I, I don't need, you know, I don't need God. I, what do I need God for? You need God to breathe the breath you're breathing right now. You need God for life. God is life. Without God, you have no life. We need him. But pride comes in, and it says, I can do it on my own. I don't have to submit myself to that. I don't have to surrender to that. I got this figured out. I know what's best for my life. And the Bible says God resists the proud. See, when we come into that place of pride, that place of arrogance, we literally, what happens is God says, I can't work with that. And he resists it. He stands against it. But it's when we come into a place of humility that God pours out his grace. It's when we finally come to that place, we say, you know what, God, I surrender. I can't do this. It's, it's, it's literally what I call the power and powerlessness. If you're familiar with um, the uh, 12 steps of AA, you'll know that in the first step it says this, I admit that I am powerless over alcohol or drugs or or you know, whatever you want to put in there. The admission is I'm powerless. It's when you come to that place where you finally admit that you can't, that you are actually given the strength to be. Are you hearing me? It says finally, when you come to a place where you say, I can't fix this, I can't manage this, I can't deal with this, I can't, then the second step is I believe God uh, through Jesus Christ can restore me to sanity and then I turn my will and life over to him. And I'm not here preaching AA to you, but it's a valid point. The thing is, is that when we come to that place admitting I can't, that God says, oh, I can That's why Paul says, I would gladly glory and boast about my weakness because it's in my weakness. It's when I'm weak that he is made strong. It's in that moment when he rises up. He wants to be the focus. Can you say amen? Amen. And this brings us right to our text, James 4-7. Therefore, what's the therefore, therefore? everything we just said, submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Can it be, can it be this morning that simple? Could our victory be that simple in this statement? Submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee. Could it be that simple? Yes, it can. It is that Simple, and that's what I want to spend the rest of my time on this morning is talking about these two conditions. See, James tells us that if we are going to be the recipients of this great grace, then we must come to a place of humility and submission before God. Listen to 1 Peter. 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 6 and 7 says, Therefore... Humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you in due time, casting all your care upon him, for he cares for you. See, we like quoting the last part. Cast all your care upon him, for he cares for you. But that's, that's just only part of the statement. If you look at the verse, because there's two verses, six and seven in that, but if you take the chapter and verse out and just look at the punctuation, Casting all your care upon him, for he cares for you, is the end of the sentence. 
We forgot the first part of the sentence. Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God. If you don't humble yourself under the mighty hand of God, then you can't. You won't be able to cast your care upon Him. There has to be a place of humility. The word humble is a word that in this case describes a person who was formerly arrogant but has become humble. Are you hearing me? In other words, this individual was once prideful, once arrogant, but they came down from that haughty, lofty position. In other words, we would say it like this. They got off their soapbox, so to speak. I mean, you know what I'm talking about. And they came down and became obedient to conform their behavior to God. Are you hearing me? It literally means to make small, to reduce one's, listen, this is it, self-importance or to humble ourselves from previous arrogance. See, sometimes we get so arrogant, don't we? I know, I, I'll just speak about me. There's times in my life where I think I got it figured out. I think I know what's, hey, make me God for a week. You don't want that. <laughs> you don't want me being God. No, 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 no. I'm probably, it's not going to be a good day for you or me. You remember that movie? What was that movie with uh, Jim? Bruce Almighty. They be, he became God. No, it, w- it would be worse than that. It'd be worse. It'd be a bad day. It'd be a bad day if you were God. Let's just let God be God. How about that? He, he's, he's really good at it. He's really, really good at it. Amen. But sometimes we think we know, we, we know it's best, we think we know how to do this, we, we think we got it all together. No, we, that's just an illusion. Aren't, you know, God kind of sometimes looks down and goes, aren't you cute? You know. But this word humble, it means we've come to that place where we've walked away from that. And the overriding truth is that when we deliberately and willfully submit to him and walk in humility, that's when we're empowered and strengthened. That's when power comes in. It's like I said, when we say, I can't, I I can't. That's the place where God's grace is poured out. In the context of James 4, 6, it means even when we run amok, even when we do make bad decisions, this is the hope of this verse, even when we make bad decisions, even when we find ourselves off in the weeds, so to speak. We've made horrible blunders and decisions. We can come back to God and say, God, man, I blew it. I thought I knew what I was doing, and I really didn't. And God says, when you humble yourself, I will pour out my grace, my grace, my grace upon you. The word submit brings us to a place where it tells us about a person that willfully places themselves under God's authority. And you know what, church? Sometimes we're going to have to do that over and over and over and over and over again in a day. See, because sometimes we like taking that authority back, don't we? Sometimes, you know, one of the things that happens is we, 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 we try to go our own way. And we try to manipulate the circumstance. We try to deal with the problems. We try to do all this stuff about what's going on in our life. We take the power back, as it were. 
And God says, you can't fix this. This is above your pay grade. Even the things like depression and, 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 and anxiety, how many know that worry really is just our attempt to fix it? You know, sometimes what the, one of the hardest things for us to do is to stop and rest. Sometimes, see, because we're programmed, human nature is programmed, I got to do something. I got to be about this. How many, do you remember, I don't know, three, four weeks ago, I, I preached a message where I talked about the vision that I had. And in that vision, I, I told you about I was in this room and I was fighting off these things that were overwhelming me. And then all of a sudden, the presence of God came in and God spoke and he said, my presence will overwhelm what's overwhelming you. But the only way that that can work is I have to submit myself to that presence. I have to acknowledge that presence. I have to stop the fight. I have to rest. I have to just go, okay, I'm submitted to you. I don't understand it. I don't know what to do. Sometimes there's nothing to do. Sometimes I hear this all the time. I hear this out of my mouth and others. God hasn't told me what to do. And here's the clue. Maybe because there's nothing to do. It's not rocket science. Maybe the reason he hadn't told you what to do, because he don't want you to do anything. It's kind of like when Andy was about three or four years old, he came out to help me change the oil one time. And it took me four hours to change the oil, and he was covered with oil, head and toe, and so was the driveway. And he runs in and goes to mom. He goes, look it, I helped dad change the oil. No, you didn't. You made a mess of it. You helped me get dirty. You helped me get frustrated. You're a little kid. Get out of here. How many know what I'm talking about? That frustration. But you know what? Somewhere the grace of a father says, it's okay. I want you to be involved. I I want you. And God says he allows us. But there's times when God says, just stop. 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 Don't talk. Look, there's power in your words. Stop talking. You're creating a reality. Stop. Stay. I'll work it out. That's submission. Let him do it. Are you hearing what I'm saying? Well, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do that. And all we do is mess up. See, submission to God is really the discipline of abstinence because it's about denying ourselves the power or the privilege of what we want. In submission, we're choosing not to make things happen for ourselves, not to control people or situations, even if we can. When Moses was leading the children of Israel and their backs were against the Red Sea, there was no way out right or left and Pharaoh was coming. What did he say? Stand still and see the salvation of the Lord. Sometimes that's really, really, really good advice. Stand still. Be submitted to him. Listen for his voice. Listen for his command and come under his authority. And you know what? When he does speak, oftentimes he's going to tell you to do things that make no sense. Oh, you want to you beat Jericho? Walk around it six times and on the seventh time, go seven times. And on the seventh time, yell real big. 
don't sound like much of a battle plan to me. Or how about this, Gideon? Get a horn, a torch, and a jug. You're going to win. I know they got like 100 and, I don't know, 130, 140,000. I know you got 300. It's probably still a little heavy on your side. What? It don't make sense, does it? Jesus is going to pay taxes. Go fishing, Peter. Go fishing? Yeah, the first fish, he'll have money. (laughs) God wants to talk to a prophet, so he sends a donkey. There is a whole sermon in that. There's, There's really a whole sermon in that. When God, I'll leave it alone. The greatest example for you and I is Jesus himself. Jesus lived in submission to his Father. Jesus doesn't try to make things happen. He listens to his Father. Jesus said, I do what my Father does and I say what my Father says. That's what I do. And we know from the Gospels that in the moment of his greatest conflict, on the eve of his crucifixion, in that moment when he is carrying the weight of the world, Every sin that's ever been committed and ever will be committed is put on him. He who knew no sin is becoming sin for us. In that moment, the Bible says in Matthew 26, 39, Oh, my Father, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. Submission is literally, it's abandoning the outcome. It's saying, God, I don't care about the outcome. I'm completely trusting you. I'm going to put my confidence in you. The outcome is not my problem. The outcome is your problem. And I trust you. So what we have to do, as the old song says, is we have to hold on loosely. And we pray that God would reveal his will, trusting that even if it doesn't feel good or make sense, it's exactly what we need. And when we do this, we're given the power. It's at that point that we're given the power and the ability to resist the devil. Because when the devil comes to assault your mind, when he comes to tempt you at your weakest point, when he torments you with the abundance of lies, the Bible guarantees we can resist him and he will flee. Are you hearing me? This word resist means to stand against or to stand in opposition. It is a word that demonstrates the attitude of one who is fiercely opposed to something or someone and therefore determines that he will do everything in his power to resist it, to stand against it, and to defy its operation. And sometimes church that is simply saying no. There are many, many times through the day, in my day, where I say no. People have noticed this. My wife has noticed this. I do this in my truck. I, do the, I say it out loud. The devil will come with a thought. It'll be a weird thought. And I'll go, no. Out loud. He's talking to me. I'm going to talk to him. No. He'll come with temptation. And I'll go, no. I'm not going that way. 
My mind, my spirit, my, or not my spirit, but my, my flesh says, yeah, that's a good idea. And I go, no. No, no. Not doing that. How many know temptation is not a sin? So how do you know that? Because Jesus was tempted, yet he was without sin. The Bible says in James a little bit earlier, it says this. It says that when temptation is conceived, it brings forth sin. And when sin is matured, it brings forth death. What does that mean? When, when temptation is conceived, when there is a conception, you say, well, where does that conception take place? It transpires in the will of man. See, the problem is, church, we don't stand against the devil. What we do is we toy with the temptation. We think about it. The moment you begin to think about it, it will enter your will, that decision-making process, and you're done. You are now on a pathway to death because temptation has been conceived and it's going to bring forth death, and death when it's mature, or sin, and then when sin is mature, it's going to bring forth death. So what do we have to do? We have to stop him. We have to say no. When Jesus was being tempted, what did he do? He used the word of God to say, no, turn that stone into bread. If you are who you say you are. He goes, no, the Bible says that man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Then he takes him to the pinnacle of the temple, and he shows him all of the kingdoms of the earth. And he says, if you bow down to me, all this authority I shall give to you. And Jesus says, no man should bow down to anyone other than God. He goes, I ain't doing it. And then finally, in the last temptation, he says, just throw yourself off this thing. It'll be okay. The angels, and he quotes the Scripture correctly. See, the devil will show up with a little bit of truth and a whole lot of lie. Sometimes he shows up with a whole lot of truth and a little bit of lie. But nonetheless, it's still a lie. Go ahead. Throw yourself off. The angels still care, care for you. And Jesus says, you know what? Get behind me, Satan. You're a liar. You're a liar. Are you hearing what I'm saying? He fought the devil off. He said, no. See, the Bible tells us that we're to resist the devil. Now, it's interesting because this word devil, we need to look at that because this word devil is translated from a Greek word called diablos, which is more of a job description than it is a name. We think the name of the devil is devil. It's not. It's, it's, it's a job description. And this word devil literally means to throw something repeatedly, striking it again and again until the object that is being struck has finally been completely penetrated. That's the strategy of the devil. Is what he does is he throws accusation. you can't take it no more. And then what do you do? You surrender. He comes to assault our mind. Not just once, but many times. He strikes our mind, our emotion, our spirits again and again and again. And he keeps on striking until he wears us down, wears down our resistance. And he wears us down and we become a victim of his ploy. And once the devil has gained access, he builds a stronghold. And now, from that place of his stronghold, he begins to attack and manipulate 
every area of our life. James 4, 7 is such good news for us because it says this, and this is what we have to hear. It says that if you resist the devil, he will flee. This word flee in the Greek means to run or take flight. It's used to depict a lawbreaker who flees in terror from a nation where he has broke the law. The reason he flees so quickly is that he wants to escape the prosecution process. Remaining in place would most assuredly mean judgment. So rather than stay and face the consequences, the lawbreaker flees for his life. See, when you are submitted to God, When you have said, I can't do any of this, but I am submitted, God then pours out grace, divine ability, strength and the power of the kingdom in your life so that you can look at the lie, you can look at the temptation, you can look at the accusation, you can look at the devil, and you can say, no. And that no is backed with the power of heaven. Can you say amen? And that power of heaven reveals to the devil that you are the one that is on trial. And if you stay here, you will be prosecuted to the full extent of the law. And so his only choice is to run. There is a verse in Scripture in Philippians chapter 1, verse 28, uh, the Amplified Version, that really paints this picture. It says, in no way be alarmed or intimidated in anything by your opponents. For such consistency or constancy and fearlessness on your part is a clear sign, a proof, and a seal for them of their impending destruction, but a clear sign for you of deliverance and salvation, and that too from God. Are you hearing that? So here's the, what is he saying? It says, when you stand and hold your ground and go, I think you have misunderstood who I am, devil. I'm a son of God, and you're messing with the kingdom. The last time you messed with the kingdom, the Bible says God threw you so fast out of heaven, you look like a lightning bolt. Do you remember that? Somewhere we have to stop and we have to stand. Rick Renner, he says this, he says an expanded and more contemporary interpretation of James 4-7 could read this way. Stand firmly against the devil. That's right. Be unbending, unyielding in the way you resist him so that he knows that he is against a serious contender. If you take this kind of stand against him, he will tuck his tail and run like a criminal who knows the day of prosecution is upon him. Once you start resisting him, he will flee from you in terror. Are you hearing that? Jason can come if he wants to as I bring this to a close. See, the devil wants to make your life less than gratifying. He wants to make it unhappy. He even wants it to be uneventful. He, he wants it to be... See, he doesn't mind if you come to church. Do you understand that? The devil don't mind sitting on the front row. He even says, I'll sit next to you. Why? Because he'll sit there and he'll whisper in your ear. He'll go, that ain't true. 
That fat little preacher up there, he don't know what he's talking about. Some of you heard that, didn't you? You heard you sure did. Did you hear the fat little preacher part or that no, I'm just teasing. I'm teasing, I'm teasing. <laughs> oh gosh. I said it's a softball, and if you don't swing at them, you know, it's just like wow. <laughs> Holy cow. You know what, church, this, what amazed me about this passage, and I'm bringing this to a close, is James is talking to a group of people that have really messed up. I mean, gosh, they had messed up. They had gone down roads that they ought not to go down. They are going down, they're going places they shouldn't. And it's in the first century. It's, it's really not long after Jesus died and resurrected, you know, that they're going haywire already. And James comes on the scene and he says, look at guys. He goes, what you really got to do, there's not, he goes, it's not rocket science. What you really need to do is you need to understand that God is passionately in love with you. And he wants your full devotion. And he knows that's hard for you. He does. And so what he's going to do is he's just going to pour out abundance of grace upon you. But you can't resist him by being proud because he'll resist you. So be humble. Come into a place of humility and just say, you know what, God, I really do need this. And he says, and then just submit to him. Submit. Just let go. Let, let it go. Let go. Stop talking. Stop running. Stop trying to figure it all out. Stop. Just stop. And he says, and you know what? You'll have the ability then in that moment to stand. And when the devil comes in, he says, you know, in the Old Testament, it says this, when the enemy comes in one way, he'll flee from you seven. What you'll find out, what the enemy will find out is when the devil comes into your life, God on the inside will hit him so hard that he'll go seven different directions. We need that, church. We're living in a time right now where the enemy is exploiting a great many things. He's exploiting fear. He's exploiting sickness. He's exploiting political and social upheaval. He's exploiting. Why? Because he knows he has just but a little while. And so he's exploiting all of this, and the church needs to rise up. But the church can't rise up in its self-proclaimed wisdom. The church needs to rise up under the authority of the, of the king of heaven. We need to rise up submitted to God. And sometimes God's going to tell us to do just some wild, crazy things, and, and we just need to do them. And it's not going to make sense, and people are going to mock, and they're going to look at us and go, oh, you're a bunch of fools. You know, I can't even imagine when they were walking around Jericho, people are probably up on the walls. You know, they're probably throwing tomatoes and lettuce and bananas, you know, all kinds of stuff at them. They're probably mocking them, going, oh, yeah. You know, they're doing their thing. But a day was coming. Jericho had a shelf life. And they didn't, unfortunately, they did not know it. And those that mocked were going to be crying very shortly. Because there was a day coming where God says the walls are going down flat. Woo. And he says, you know what, I'm coming through. And church, God, whether this, is, whether this is for our nation, our world, our city, or whether it's just for your home, your life, your individual life, your family, your children, your job, your marriage, your home, whatever it might be. The principle works. Submit yourself to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee. This is a strategy that will 
work. Can you say amen? Let's bow our heads. Father, we thank you, Lord, for this truth, and we thank you, God, for your goodness and your grace. We thank you, Lord, that you are showing us and giving us revelation of what we need to do. God, we ask that you help us to understand. We ask that you help us to walk in this. God, help us, Father. Encourage us and strengthen us to submit our lives to you. Father, that we may stand and resist the devil and that we would witness him fleeing from us. Father, we give you the glory. We give you the honor today. In Jesus' name, amen. Praise God. There is going to be uh, a part two to this sermon, and I want you to come to this because I'll tell you what the text is going to be. It's out of 2 Corinthians 10 where it says, The weapons of our warfare are mighty through God. They're not carnal. They're mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. So if we've already come to this place and we have a stronghold, what what now? Well, God's got a plan for that too. Amen. Amen. See, God loves you. How many know God stacked the deck so that you win? God says, you're going to win. You're my kid. You will win, but you have to trust me. You have to do it my way. If you do it my way, you'll win. He wants you to win. So next week, we're going to talk about that. We'll see what God gives us. So let's stand to our feet. We're going to release you and let you go. We love everyone. Thank you for joining us online. If you're online today, we love you. God bless you. We'll see you next week. You guys have a great day.